You're listening to Butchertown Rundown Extra Cuts, the official podcast of the Lavender Legion. All right, today we are so lucky to have Abby Erseg with us on the Butchertown Rundown. Abby joined racing in the offseason when she was traded here from the North Carolina Courage alongside fellow defender Carson Pickett. Abby is one of the most decorated and experienced defenders in the NWSL. She is a three-time NWSL champion with the Courage and the Western New York Flash. She's also a three-time Shield winner with the North Carolina Courage and won the Challenge Cup last year with the Courage as well. And she was also 2018's Defender of the Year and part of the NWSL's Best 11. And internationally, she has represented New Zealand in four Olympics and four World Cup tournaments. So, Abby, it is such an honor to have you join us today on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. And we have some questions prepared for you and some from our listeners that um, they have submitted. And so let's just start it off very simply. Half the season has passed now since you've joined the club or just about there. Ten games. Uh, How are you and Carson settling in? Uh, Really well. I think better than expected, actually. Um, I think when you hear you're going to live in Kentucky. There's all sorts of stereotypes that kind of pop into your head. And honestly, it's been a really, really pleasant surprise. We've been both pleasantly surprised. Um, We're settling in well. The girls are just absolutely amazing. Love the girls, love the team. Um, But just the people are just so kind. It's just things you don't hear about Louisville. There's events on all the time. So we're going out and doing things and being out, you know, part of the community. And we went to um, the Thurby and like had fun there. So it's really cool. I'm, I'm having a really, really good time. Good. That's where it's here. I am also not from um, Kentucky originally. I'm from Philly. And my sister actually moved here about 20 years ago. And it was just like a void. Kentucky was just like, I had no concept of what it was before I moved here. But I've also obviously been very pleasantly surprised because I've lived here for almost a decade now. Um, For people who are paying attention on social media, you are also one of Louisville's newest homeowners and (laughs) are doing a very extensive renovation that has caught the attention of many people. So how is that going? That's also really fun. We just we just got back from um, doing some work on the house today, actually. Um, but we obviously owned a house in North Carolina, Carson and I. Um, so when we moved to Louisville, we we just didn't have time to get a house. We didn't have time to look for one to rent, or so we went into the team uh, apartments and um, immediately was just like, "This is not for us. We we, <laughs> we have way too much stuff. It's just it's it's not going to work for us." Um, so we pretty much looked for a house as soon as we got to Louisville. The week before we got to Louisville, we were looking, um, but we didn't know the areas and we didn't know much about it. Um, but after having looked for about three or three, three ish months, we found something in the Highlands, um, that we're, we knew it was a fixer upper, um, we're committed to putting in quite a bit of money into it, but it's it's a cool little project off the side as well. Um, gives us something to do, uh, off the field. We, we like that balance of having, um, kind of things to do and, 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 and ways to just escape from soccer. Sometimes it can be a bit overwhelming just to focus on soccer and only have soccer. And then, you know, it it kind of all snowballs into one. So when you have these things outside of soccer, it's really nice and it just helps um, ground you a little bit and keep you, um, you know, especially with each other grounded. So um, we're really, really, really enjoying it. It's a lot of hard work and we have to really select the days that we want to do harder things versus um, some of the things are a little bit easier. So today was one of the easier days heading into the game. We just, we don't want to do too much before playing San Diego oh well that that's great the Highlands is a great area so Mm -hmm. that'll Mm -hmm. be a fun place to live once it's once it's all ready once it's done yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah cool so 
you've obviously had this big transition moving here um, to racing and you were at North Carolina for so long, which was arguably the dynasty of the NWSL for many years. And then you moved to racing, which is still this like new expansion team that's had all sorts of setbacks and just now starting to find their footing. Like how has that moved from a fully established club to a new young club been? Um, actually it's been really familiar. I've, I've described it as nostalgic for me because I was with Western New York right before they, um, transitioned, I guess, into North Carolina. So I've been through the process before of an expansion team. Um, so it was familiar to me and luckily Louisville have been established for a couple of years before I came in. So it's not completely new. Um, but I, I kind of enjoy it. I've said in a couple of podcasts that I really, really enjoy the feeling of, um, being the underdog, not having much expected of us. Nobody's really looking our way. Um, I really like surprising people with our performances and, and kind of the progress that we've made throughout the year. I think the team just has this unbelievable potential. Um, and I think just a little bit of investment into the coaching, which they've done obviously this year's uh, investment in some of the players that they've brought in. Um, I think they can just be a, a magnificent team, but they're lacking a little bit of belief in themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so Coming in from North Carolina, obviously very established. Uh, the 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 type of leadership that I have is now a little bit different. I could kind of operate on autopilot in North Carolina. Everything was there were there were systems in place. Everybody knew what was going to happen. We knew what we expected. And then coming in here, you're you're building that. So they're not at the point where everything's automatic. They're learning. They're gaining experience. They're they're finding out what works for them and what doesn't. What makes a winning team. What doesn't make a winning team. So I I really enjoy being part of that process. And I'm just adding experience when it's needed. So um, I, I like watching the girls grow. I like watching them learn. Even when we're going through a two nil up at halftime, you you can see the nerves in the girls sometimes. Um, so just, just helping them with that and, and watching them go through that experience. I, I really, really enjoy it. I think it's a really cool process. Uh, and I think maybe give it another year or two, this team will be a team to look out for. Yeah. Awesome. Excellent. Kind of piggybacking off of that, you've been a winner in the NWSL for so long. You're obviously an incredibly competitive individual. How do you balance being a leader to your teammates where probably had a few more losses than you'd like this season? The team's probably had a few more losses than you'd like, uh, but not taking it uh, too hard or knowing how to take it so that you don't discourage the young, the younger players who don't have the experience, but at the same time, make setting a standard that, you're going out for three points every match. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think at the end of the day, it's a communication issue, really. Um, I think the standards that I have are the same coming from a, an established club like North Carolina. But I think the way you communicate those standards is different for a team that has less experience. So if I'm going to compare in North Carolina, like I said, I'm on, I'm on autopilot. Everybody knows what the standard is. And if somebody drops below it, you're quickly put back into line and and that's kind of maintained throughout there and it, and it's expected in all honesty nothing's really taken personally it's it's just it's just how it goes and that's the culture that was developed there um and here what i'm finding is that because the learning curve is a little bit bigger with some players they just haven't been in some of the situations that i might have been in in the past few years i've been in situations where we're winning i've been in situations where we've had to fight back I've been in championship games that have a lot of pressure and they just haven't experienced it. So when, when you see them experience it, you have to first 
communicate to them as a person rather than just as a player because they're dealing with these emotions that are just a little bit overwhelming this pressure this stress they're trying to figure out how to play but also trying to figure out how to communicate they're also trying to figure out you know like there's there's so many elements to it so I think coming in and just being like this has to be better that has to be better this has to be better doesn't work for a team like this because you have to you have to give them a little bit of leeway to learn and a little bit of leeway to deal with the emotions and I think what was happening at the start of the season was that those emotions were at the forefront of everything. And so when we're winning a game and we're two nil up, that kind of it capitulated because we didn't know how to deal with the emotions of being a human, first of all. And now that we've moved into halfway through the season, they've learned to deal with those emotions. And you can see that the performances and the results are starting to balance out a little bit. So when we're two nil up, we understand now what it is that's going to happen. We understand that what we're going to feel in those moments and we know how to deal with it and we know how to deal with it as an individual and as as a team so when I'm communicating to the team this the standard is still the same but you just have to be a little bit more soft in your approach I think and I think that's really the only difference between the two um it's 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 I don't think it's anything special I think people sometimes think winning and losing there's these massive special systems you have and special rules but it's not there's really really small fine lines um and i think that this team is walking on that line at the moment we just have to we have to stay on the right side more often that's fantastic thank you becky so many players including yourself have commented the the facilities and amenities in in louisville are top notch Uh, Mm. i think that there are a lot of people who've only followed racing who really have no point of reference of what other facilities and other offerings look like in the NWSL. And I know it varies from team to team. So what specifically is it that makes racing stand out in terms of infrastructure and, and support offered? Oh my gosh. Um, The facilities at the training rounds are the best. Um, Having everything centralized is really, really important. I mean, you hear about teams in New York and, all these other Seattle, they're traveling like 40 minutes sometimes to get to training. I could walk to training if I want to. It's two minutes down the road. So like that in and of itself is cool. The stadium is two minutes in the other direction. So I could walk to the game if I want to. I could walk home from a game. You know, having everything centralized for players is really important. It cuts down on travel. It cuts down on time away from the field. Um, it just helps with recovery and all those, all those little bits. Um, and then at the actual facility, again, everything's there. You have the gym. You have recovery tools. You have your training room. You have the cafeteria. You have fields designated just to our team. Nobody, nobody plays on that field except for us. And that is unique. Um, even in North Carolina, we had, we had really great fields, but those fields were owned by the city. So we didn't always get access to it when we wanted to, or we had to train on a different field because another team was training on it. And here we don't, we have precedence to everything, absolutely everything that we want. It's, it's, it's awesome. Um, I haven't really seen anything like that before. And just as a quick follow-up, how important is it to actually have a home base? Because so many teams don't own their facilities. And so the front offices will be in an office somewhere. And then, like you said, you know, the city owns the fields in North Carolina, mm-hmm. but in racing, you know, you actually have a facility that is home to the front office and a permanent locker room with like your name mm-hmm. on your locker that no one else, like you're not gonna have to take your stuff with you or, or something like that. You know, is that very important to feel bought into a team having something like that? Yes, absolutely. It, it makes it feel permanent rather than just like we might invest in this team for a couple of years and see how it goes. It, no, it, 
we're going to invest and we're going to stay and we're going to believe in this team and, and that's how it's going to be. And you very much feel that the minute you're here. And I was really surprised by that because there just hasn't been, nobody's, nobody's talking about it. Nobody's advertising it. I think that should be the number one thing that they advertise. I mean, if we look at Kansas, they're advertising their stadium. They've been advertising it for the past year and it's all anybody ever talks about. I've driven past that stadium and it's and it's not that great, if I'm going to be honest. It's it's smaller than the stadium that they're in now. It's further away. Like, you know, like we have so much more to offer and I think that players need to be loud about it. Uh, the front office need to be loud about it. Media needs to be loud about it. Anybody that can talk about it should be talking about it because that is then going to create interest for other players to want to come here. So before coming here, I had no idea had I have known, it wouldn't have been such a shock or, you know, I wouldn't have been so standoffish about coming here if I knew the facilities were so good. Because first and foremost, you're a player. So if the facilities are good, you're going to be okay. You know what I mean? Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. And um, another thing that we've heard repeatedly from like players and staff and other folks at racing is that the culture and the locker room are very good and very positive. What do you think promotes that positive culture? Oh, um, I just, I think having good people in the locker room. Um, I mean, I, it's, I haven't come across any issues in the locker room whatsoever and it's unique. It, it is really, really unique to have a team that everybody gets on with. You can sit wherever you like on the bus. You can sit wherever you want in the cafeteria. You can talk to whoever you want. That is rare in, in teams. And I've been on a couple of them and, the only other team that had that was North Carolina and that was in the, in the earlier stages. So like it, it doesn't always last forever and it's not always there. So having kind people on your team is just like, I know it sounds absurd, but it, it is, it's just, you know, having people that want to be there. First of all, having people that want to get better every day. Um, there are absolutely no egos on the team whatsoever. And when you go into a training environment, that's huge because when we're communicating with each other, when we're training, you know that everybody wants to get better. And, and when we're communicating to each other, it's not personal. Mm-hmm. It's I'm helping you as a player. You're helping me as a player. And then when we leave, we know that anything that was said, it's not an attack on the person. We all just want to get better. And, and having that goal in mind, I think just helps promote this environment that everybody's talking about. And I think we had, we had a meeting at the start of the year and we, we talked a little bit about, what it was we wanted to achieve as a team. And there was very little conversation about the end goal. We didn't really talk about, we, we want to win a championship. We want to win games, whatever. It was more like, we want to be better in training every day. How do we promote the standard in training every day? You know? So I, I don't know. I just think having good people in that environment, having people that want to be there that are excited to be there is kind of key to, to creating that culture. That's great. Very cool. Now, Abby, you're someone who's been in the league from practically the beginning um, and only a year after it started. What drew you to the NWSL initially after playing in Europe and Australia and what's made you decide to stay? Um, Yeah, I actually was offered to come the very first year that it it, um, came out. But the NWSL had a really, really bad reputation of folding after playing for a year. Um, so I kind of went, uh, you know, in NBCL, it's new. I'll see how it goes for a year. I'll go play in Europe and see how it goes and then come back if it kind of is stable. And so the first year went really well. Um, from what I could see, it was going to be something that was going to progress further than a year or two. Um, so then I came back from Germany. Germany wasn't really 
their style of European football didn't really suit me. Um, it's slow. It's very, very technical. Don't get me wrong. The technical side of the game, they're very, very good. And we can see that in, you know, in the final that was just played with Wolfsburg and Barcelona. Um, but it just, it's not fast enough. It's not, it's not the same mindset that I have. I'm very physical. I like the speed of play in America. And I wanted to be a part of that. I mean, America had won World Cups and Olympics for as long as I can remember since I was a kid. And they absolutely dominated. So why, as a player, would I not want to get into that league and get amongst those players and gain experience with those players next to me? I think the transition from the European League to the American League made me better. They they were just smarter. They'd, they'd played in bigger games. Um, you're, you're learning from them every single moment that you're there, on the field, off the field. You're having conversations that you're not usually having with players in Europe. You know, you just, I think um, I wanted to be among the best players in the world. I think it was as simple as that. And I just wanted to um, kind of grow my game being around those players. Fantastic. Um, Moving back to racing a little more, one of the big things that's stood out to basically everybody in Louisville is how effective your leadership has been on the pitch along the back line. Um, You know, having an organized back line has, has been a problem in racing's first two years. And that really seems to have come together this year. Um, listener Rob says he was really impressed by the backline's ability to hold it together against the spirit last weekend. So what has been the key component to the backline coming together more and more each match as the season has progressed? Um, I, well, one, um, game time together is really important. Uh, I think having, we've had more or less the same back four, uh, other than the right center back, um, we've had the same back four for most of the games. Um, so that helps with the cohesion and, and building relationships on the field. Um, those conversations obviously happen between those players. And when there's things to fix, those players are going into the next game. So it, it, we're all on the same page with that. Um, so that's been really helpful. Um, obviously, in training as well, those same conversations happen because you're training with those same players alongside you. Um, so I think just some consistency in the lineup has been really, really helpful. Um, two, like I said, I think you've got players in the, that just want to learn. Uh, so obviously our left side with Carson and I, we have a little bit more experience um, and we've come from North Carolina where I said the standard was just, it's really, it's a really high standard um, and they demanded a lot from the players, both physically and mentally, tactically. Um, and being able to bring that into these players has been really cool. Um, and they've been really, really open to the feedback. Um, they've been really open to learning and they've, and they've come to us with questions that they might've had and you don't always get that in teams. I think, uh, a lot of the time there's intimidation that might happen um, or, or, you know, ego is coming in and that can be really, it's not helpful for an environment like Louisville where, um, you know, they haven't had the best results. Um, so I think both the willingness to learn and a willingness for us to help those players learn has, uh, uh, I think, been a really good mix of give and take in terms of communication. Um, you know, there's problems that they want to solve and they're eager to solve them. And I really, really like that. It can be really easy, especially as a defender, um, to hide because we're we're on, I mean, defending is hard. We're on show a lot. Um, you're playing against Trinity Rodman and she scores, you know, you're, you're in that highlight reel and that's not easy to face up to. Um, but I think the players are just so eager to learn and they're so eager to get better that they ask the hard questions and they, you know, they're not afraid to put a video up of themselves and say, what do I do in this situation? I got this wrong. What do I do? So that's also helping us learn. Um, I, I think just um, the open-mindedness of the players is, is, has been crucial for the start of the season. Fantastic. Yeah. And uh, just a quick follow-up. Can you kind of like walk us through 
what was going through your mind when um, Ellie got their red card over the weekend and uh, <laughs> y'all had to play down um, a player for like, what, 25 minutes? Um, yeah, that was tough. I mean, the first thing you think is, great. Like we have to just like, <laughs> 20 minutes with a man down. But uh, yeah. honestly, you go in, you just go into like, you go into this mode of like, I have a job to do and I need to help these players do it. Because I mean, we'd been down to 10 um, early in the season with Sav. Um, but, but this was a little bit different because we were so, we wanted to hold on to that result. We knew we deserved it. And we actually thought that prior to that happening, we, the second, the next goal for us was coming. We could feel the momentum shifting. So we were, I mean, it's tough when a player goes off. You always, the, the first thing is like, are they okay? You, you worry about your teammate. You worry about whether or not they're like mentally, they're going to be okay. She was on the, the field for a minute. Like that's going to oh, be, yeah. that sucks. And I've had a red card. I don't know how that feels. Um, but you just go into the mode of like, I have a job to do and I need to help everybody do it. So it was just, honestly, the role that I have being in center back, it's just amplified. So the communication just goes up tenfold. You have to talk to everybody all the time, nonstop. And I said to Bev after the game, our, our assistant coach, I was like, physically, that wasn't a demanding game, but mentally I'm exhausted because you're just, you have to switch on for somebody else because you have to cover. And now like you're covering more ground and you're tired while you're doing it. So it's just like, you're mentally exhausted after that. Um, but again, like I said, that adds to the experience that the players have now had. We now know what to do when we go down to 10 people. We now know what to do when we're trying to chase a result with 10 people or hold on to a result. So like I said, this adds to the experience of the players. And when that happened, there was no panic because we'd ha- this had happened earlier in the season. Nobody panicked. It was all just like, we know what to do. Let's just go and do it. And I think that's how we held on to the result in all honesty. Um, just the relaxing of the nerves, a lot of communication, um, the humanness was taken out of it and it's just like I have a job let's all work together to do it and I have a quick follow-up too actually yeah I mean one thing that struck me is like as soon as the red card was given like all of you just looked completely serious and got in the wall mm-hmm. like there was no reaction to it at all mm-hmm. and Bev said um in a Q&A two days ago on, on Monday that like one of the most important things from the coaching perspective was staying completely calm in that mm-hmm. moment and just communicating you know, and, and with some coaches, you see them like blow up, freak out, get really angry from a player perspective. I know this is probably different from player to player, but like how important is it in those moments for the coaching staff just to be like, OK, calm, we're moving forward, we're, we're staying balanced and, and we're moving or do you want them to scream about it? <laughs> it depends how the how the foul happened. I think yeah. I think everybody knew it was a red card, so there wasn't really a lot to yell about. Um, in all honesty, I, I think it it depends player to player. I think a lot. I think most players would appreciate you know a calm approach, mm-hmm. especially in a high stress situation like that. Um, but I mean, I, I don't really, I'm not a player that really notices the sideline too often. And I know some players do. So I think that would vary for, for different players. Um, for me, I'm always going to appreciate a calm approach. I don't think stressing about anything in that moment really helps anybody. Um, and like I said, you've got so many inexperienced players around you that freaking out isn't going to help them. I think the more calmness we can have on the field in those moments, the better it will be for these players. Great. That's excellent. Uh, speaking from the fan base, Abby, we were all completely freaked out. So very glad. <laughs> that... out. It's okay. Thank we you. were freaking out. We just couldn't. We didn't show it. <laughs> well, I'm, glad, <laughs> I'm glad the important people were able to keep it calm. <laughs> uh, 
Staying on the theme of leadership, we have a question from listener Kylie Garson that you were a captain all through the tenure with uh, the Western New York Flash in the North Carolina Courage. And Kylie was wondering what it's like to move from being in the captaincy role for a long time with a club to the role you're in now where you are a leader, uh, but in many ways mentoring a new captain rather than being the captain yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've done a lot of reflection on this because I think being a captain for so long um kind of it becomes part of your identity in all honesty so you that role is something that you carry with you and it's something that I was very very proud of I I really enjoyed being in a captaincy role um so to transition from a a team where that's what you're known as to a team where you're not really sure of your role you're not really sure of your identity within that team there is a there is a transition period that is really really unsettling and it's really I will say it it, it was quite difficult to go in knowing not really where you're going to be placed in the team mm-hmm. um did I hope that I would be captain yes absolutely but again that was my role for the past kind of eight years and that's just what you expect and that's how, that's the the role that I was most comfortable in um but I'm also you know I'm 34 this year so you you also have to understand that these clubs are going to want to invest in players that are younger um, and have a longer future with the club and I c- completely respect that um, I had a long conversation with Kim about it um, and he said exactly that you know the club want to invest in a young captain um, and I I completely agreed I just I just said look I can I can be whatever role you want me to be in. Um, I can help Jay. And Jay kind of pulled us aside. She pulled a couple of us aside and said, look, (laughs) I know I'm young. I know I'm inexperienced. Please, please, please help me. And that's what I mean by having just good people in the room. You just, you have these relationships with them that, you know, they can come to you. You can go to them in times when it's probably a really sensitive topic, both for her and for me, for her to do that was huge. And I think um, for the club, to invest in a player like that, that will pay dividends in years to come. She might not have the experience now and she might be leaning on a lot of players now, but in three, two, three years, she's going to be, she will also be a phenomenal captain. And I, you know, I would put my life on that. She's, she's going to be a really good captain. So um, for me to help her in that role now, now that I understand that that is my role, you just, you buy into it. It's, it's your role in the team. And I really enjoy it. I enjoy helping her. I enjoy seeing her, um, develop as a leader, develop as a captain, understand the role a little bit better, understand how she can help the team a little bit better. Um, and that's been, that's been fun for me. I, I, it's something that I'm really, really enjoying doing. Great. So switching tacks a little bit, um, listener Camille F on Twitter asks, what are the top three skills of a world-class defender? Uh, or rather, what would be the three key skills or attributes that you would advise a young and experienced defender to focus on developing, if that makes sense? Um, I think positioning for a defender, especially for a central defender, is really, really crucial. Um, I think the ability to read read the game. So reading the game and, and your positioning, um, huge. I mean, if you can, you know where a ball's going to go before it goes, then awesome. You're not going to have to run as much or defend as much. Um, two, I, th- I think communication is massively important. Um, again, I mean, it kind of ties into the positioning understanding of the game. I have the ability to control every single player that's playing in front of me. I can move Jay where I want her to stand. I can help her intercept the ball. I can help her defend. You know, like I'm the, I'm the one that's 
pulling the strings behind her a little bit. So my ability to communicate with her, with my outside back, with my other center back is massive. I can actually help the team be better. I can help the team uh, win more balls. I can help the team defend less. Um, so communication is, is massive. And it took, it took a, probably a year, two years of playing and talking at the same time to learn how to do it effectively. I actually went through a bit of a period with my national team coach. He said, you need to learn how to talk while you're playing. I said, I don't, I can't, it's, it's hard. Like I'm, I'm running as fast as I can. And you want me to yell while I'm running as fast as I can. I was like, that's really hard. And I, I threw like a bit of a hissy fit about it. I was like, (laughs) I don't want to, like it's hard. And now my game's getting worse because I'm focusing on talking. And I got really like, I honestly got really upset about it. Um, And he just like went on. He was like, you need to be better at it. It's your job. And I'm going to push you. And he pushed me and he pushed me and he pushed me for like a year. And I was like, okay, like I'm going to buy in. But it took about a year and a half to learn how to do that effectively. So being able to play, not thinking about myself and helping everybody else around me took a lot of work. Um, And then finally, I think actually technical ability for a defender is also really big. I know that people think of defenders as (laughs) clumsy or like, you know, center backs typically don't have good technique. But I think having good technique just makes your job so much easier. You know, you can bring a ball down out of the air. You can play a ball over the top of the back four. I can chip a ball into midfield. I can drive a ball out to Carson if I need to. Having that technique, I think, gets you out of a lot of trouble. Um, So I think center backs and defenders especially need to have really clean technique, and especially in passing, but control and, and passing of the ball is huge. Yeah, great. Uh, so in this past season, ra- racing has had um, kind of identity issues and they've had a clear goal of who they wanted to be. They just could never like fully execute it uh, as well as they wanted to. But that seems to be changing this year and the team seems to be living um, their identity more. So in your own words, how would you define the team's identity? And do you think that the team is embodying it well? Um. Yes, I think we're embodying it well. Uh, that's it's really hard to describe in one word. Um, I think we are. I, I don't want to use the word underdog because I've used that word with other teams. Um, but that is very much the mindset of the team. Very scrappy. Very um, nobody expects results from them, um, but they expect everything from themselves. They're willing to work hard. They work hard in training. They give everything to the team. It's all about the team. Um, and every time they go into a game, they just fight. They just will like not give up the result. Even if we're down to no, they, they will not stop fighting for that result. Uh, and I think they embody that every game that we play. You can see it in the performances. I, I don't think any team can rule us out. I don't think any team can rest all of their players completely and expect to have an easy game like they might have in the past because we know how to score goals now. We know how to keep clean sheets. Um, And the more that the season goes on, the more that we're going to be able to achieve that. Um, So I think that they do embody that really, really well. I think where we fall short a little bit is in the belief sometimes of how good they can be. So I think they have, it's almost like they have to see it to believe it kind of thing. Whereas they need to believe it first for it to happen. Because I think we've lost games where we've lost our identity a little bit and we lost the fight and we lost the scrappiness that we need to get the results. Um, and I think that came from belief. So I think especially at the start of the season, 
we didn't always follow through with that that underdog mindset, that underdog mentality. But I think now they're understanding that you have to have it every single game and every single moment to be able to be successful. And I think they're, they're getting there. Yeah. Well, one more tough question, and then we'll have some easier ones for you. We are about halfway through the season, and right now racing is in eighth place. We have a tough string of games in front of us. What does racing need to do to start getting some wins and get into the playoff picture? Uh, be more consistent, I think. Uh, consistency has been something that has lost us games and lost us pretty easy points. Um, you, you know, you think to Seattle, uh, when we played Seattle, when we played Angel City, though we should have got points from those games. We just didn't. Um, and later in the season, that might hurt us. But I think they're learning quickly. Um, we're not, we're, I mean, we're not in 10th, 12th place. We're in 7th place and we're like three points, four points out of playoff position at the moment. Um, so it's definitely still there for us. But this middle part of the season is huge for the consistency of the results. So we've got San Diego coming up. We've got Gotham coming up, some of the two of the top teams. If we can sneak some points from them, that is unexpected. And later on in the season, that's going to help us. But we have to be so consistent in what we do. We can't afford to drop off anywhere in this middle part of the season because this is where um, players start leaving for World Cups. Um, we might be able to sneak some results from teams we probably weren't supposed to or we weren't expected to. Um, but I think consistency is going to be really, really big for us. Fantastic. So as Tom said, we have slightly lighter questions now. And the first one is, do you have a favorite goal you've scored either internationally or in club play? Um, favorite goal. Uh, I think when I was, when I first moved from Chicago to Western New York or Chicago to Sh the courage, any goal I scored against Chicago was my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I hated them. I hated them. And I couldn't, I never ever won at Chicago until uh, we played racing Louisville, North Carolina never beat them at home. Um, but the really? goals, no, we never beat them. They were like our Achilles heel. So when we beat them the other day, I was just like, so excited. <laughs> um, but yeah, so any, th those first goals that I scored against Chicago, um, I loved, I absolutely love scoring those goals. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. And we, we personally loved the goal against Washington where you just mm. got really, really high yeah. up in the air. That was a good one. I like that one too. That yeah. kind of sparked the fire for the team a little bit. I think first goal yeah. of the season. Yeah. yeah we yes. <laughs> and are, are you aware that people call you air or seg? I, I've seen it floating around on social media. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's well-deserved. Um, okay. So Today, you just posted an Instagram story of what appears to be a snake in a parking <laughs> garage that you yep. were in. So I just need you to walk us through your initial reaction to this snake. Uh, were you scared? And what ultimately happened with the um, snake? Yeah, so this was in our the like garage of our apartment building. We yeah. just came from training, Carson and I. And I was driving, and we drove in around the corner. And I saw like movement out the left side of my eye. And I went past and I looked in the rear vision mirror and it looked like a snake. So I, I, I slammed on the brakes. I tell you what, I slammed on the brakes, I slammed on the brakes. I was like, Carson, that, that was a snake. And so I put the car in reverse and I drove back to see if it was a snake. And it was. And it was like striking out at like cars that had driven past. And oh. I, I, oh, wow. I, 
Yeah, like this, and we think it was a copperhead, right? Oh my God. <laughs> so Yeah, so a couple of people had seen it and another lady had walked into the front office and said the same thing. She's like, there's a copperhead downstairs in the garage. Um, anyway, so I, I haven't seen a snake in the open like that. We don't have snakes in New Zealand. So like, yeah, yeah, that's it's new for me. So yeah. I, I, I was like, it's fascinating for me to see those things. Like I don't get the... I don't get freaked out because I, I don't have a reference for it culturally. Um, so I just want to see it. I want to see like how it moves and like what it does. So I reversed and then I went forward again. I was like, wait, wait, wait. I want to take a video. So I reversed again. And then I took a video as it went past. And then Casper was like, okay, I want a video. So we reversed again so she could get a video. So we're, like we're going back and forth in front of the snake. Like the snake is striking at the car, like as we're doing it, just so we could get these videos. Um, oh so gosh. I was highly fascinated and Carson was like disgusted by it. I mean, that's an appropriate reaction. <laughs> yeah, she um, she she's um, stated she's probably going to have nightmares about it. Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of funny too because the only other player who's had a run in with a snake is Alex Chidiak when she was walking oh, somewhere really? to practice. Yeah, so I don't know. I I've never seen a snake in Louisville. Well, so, no, yeah, this is a uh, parking garage of all places. Of all, I must have escaped there with flooding or something like yeah, that. Yeah, That's the only thing I can think of with all the rain. Wow. Well, you know, now we know a little bit more, you know, uh, positives about racing Louisville, centralized facilities, negatives, copperheads in the parking garage. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so imagine it has been a long three-game week. Uh, for the purposes of this question, we will say that uh, you played three road games in Chicago and won all three. <laughs> Everything's good. You have a few days off. What do you do with your free time? I mean, honestly, right now I go and fix my house that we've just bought. <laughs> all spare time goes into that house. Um, I think prior to that, um, I think Carson and I probably would have gone to a bakery somewhere and got some kind of like donut or baked good or croissant with a coffee um, and just hung out doing that for a little bit. Um, we like to explore the city. So I don't know, maybe it's a library that we've seen or like a cool like event that we've seen on or a, a shop that we think looks cool. Um, we usually spend a bit of time just like exploring. Um, yeah, and just hanging out. I, I think exploring a city and being a visitor in the city sometimes is fun and just finding out what the city is about and like what the people are about. Um, we probably would have spent three days just chilling and finding out about Louisville. Well, this actually ties in pretty well to that because listener Jessica asks, what are the top three things that have surprised you the most about Louisville during the your food? Oh my God, <laughs> the food is so freaking good. And it I didn't is. know that. Um, yeah, it's got a really cool, like really cool vibe in Louisville. I, it's a lot younger, like the I mean, the demographic is a lot younger than I thought it was going to be. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, you have the stereotypes you think like Southern and like older and like country and like you just kind of go into like this like nosedive about what Kentucky could be. And it's just not. It's exciting. There's like events on all the time. And I really, really like that. I've been to more events here than I ever have in North Carolina. So that was surprising. Um, and like I said, the food and the people are just so kind. I mean, every person that's come to like help us with our house has been so kind it's been it's been really cool it's a pleasant surprise great love to hear that mm -hmm. um so i am actually headed to the world cup in your home country next month cool. um i'll be in auckland and wellington specifically mm -hmm. i'm really big on coffee so 
where should I go to get coffee and what should I order? Okay. Well, you have to order a flat white, no syrups or anything. No sweet. You won't find syrups over there anyway. We don't really have them. Um, But there's a cafe. There is, you don't understand. There are so many. It's like our culture. So, um, I mean, I'll go to all of them. Like, I'll go to one every day. You know, it's fine. There's one. If you're in Auckland, um, there's a couple in Mission Bay, which is in Auckland City, which is really nice. And Cafe Koei is there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, it's really popular, though. Um, so expect to, like, wait for a little bit for just your coffee. Um, so I would recommend that. Um, but, yeah, honestly, there are so many. I'm going to recommend that one as, like, number one, though. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. I will check that out. Excellent. Listener Trust in the Brian wants to know if you have a favorite New Zealand based fantasy series because New Zealand has quite often been a fantasy setting. Hercules, Xena, Lord of the Rings. I didn't I wasn't watching to see if you have any uh, uh, what kind of uh, if your reaction as I read that question. Anything come to mind or <laughs> I mean, if so I, had to choose, I would choose Lord of the Rings. I watched I watched all the um, the series of it when I was a little bit younger, and obviously it's in New Zealand, so I have a bit more of a vested interest in it. But Lord of the Rings is probably the go-to. Yeah, excellent, great. And this is the final question, and it's gonna be it's gonna seem like kind of a weird one, but we are the official podcast of the Lavender Legion, so we are obligated to ask a question that is very important to the membership. Legion has been arguing quite heatedly about, of all things, Gatorade flavors, and there have been huge fights about it. Harsh words have been shared. So we have to know what your favorite Gatorade flavor is. Um, probably the lemon. Lemon? Is it lemon? The yellow one? No, the, yeah. the well, what's the white one? Wild cherry. Wild cherry, apparently. It's like oh. the, the, like, yeah. Wild cherry. That is... That is an uncontroversial choice, so good job. Oh, okay, cool. Have you ever had cucumber lime? I have not, I don't think. Okay, that is the biggest point of contention. <laughs> it, it, we, it, people either think it tastes like mud or they think it's the best thing they've ever had. Oh, so. I'm not a huge fan of cucumber, so I'm probably not, I probably wouldn't pick it for myself. I personally would suggest you never do. I think okay. it's <laughs> so. Cool, 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 cool. We're good. Uh, oh, um, and... Finally, uh, Abby, we do a segment called the Mint Mix on this show where we just have a running playlist throughout the season that kind of describes uh, what's going on with the team, how everything's going. So what's your addition to the Mint Mix? Um, I'm going to add Started from the Bottom by Drake. That's a great choice. (laughs) Absolutely perfect. Abby, thank you so much for spending your time with us today. We really, really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day after practice, after working on your house, all that stuff. Uh, I know our listeners are going to love this. Yeah, avoiding (laughs) snakes. You've had peril today, all sorts of things. So really, we, we appreciate it. And we are all looking forward to the game on Friday. Awesome. Thank you for having me, guys. I had a lot of fun. All right. Great. We did, too. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Abby. Thanks.